This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. Well, hello, I am Dr. Gary, and this is Leading from the Front. Our mission is to make good bosses into great leaders with compassion, accountability. And today is a woman leader in the North Carolina area working with Blue Cross Blue Shield for over 23 years in many different positions. Her present position is Vice President of Business Process Solutions and Project Management Office. That's a real mouthful, Samantha Johnson. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about what that means and uh, some, some background on your career with uh, Blue Cross. Yeah, well, Dr. Gary, I am really excited to be here talking to you today about leading from the front. And yeah, it's a mouthful of a title there. And I like to just say we're a strategy activation arm. And so as we look at our organization and what we try and deliver for our customers and for the state of North Carolina, those things that we get uh, for new opportunities and products and services and, of course, governmental regulations, my team helps to implement those ideas. And then also we work with teams to help them improve their business processes and to serve our customers better. That's great. So I, I, I noticed one of the things that implementation of strategic initiatives, I, I remember reading the book on strategy I think it was uh, uh, Sharon and Ram or something like that. That was their names. And they talked about, you have a great strategy, but it really doesn't do much good if you don't have a good execution. That's right. The name of the book was Execution. I just remembered. Ah, there you go. There execution. you go. <laughs> yeah. The, so how do yeah. you, once, once you have a strategy, how from a from a leadership and a management standpoint, that's, that's a, you know, you have a big company. That's a lot to make it happen, the execution of it. How do you do that? Well, I think it really is founded in culture because mm. culture eats strategy for lunch. And so a lot of what we do across the organization is help teams come together, stay aligned and clear on the goals and objectives and to ensure that we have good communication and clarity on what we're trying to achieve. So strategy also is how do you translate into how it connects with the people? So when we think about our value transformation initiative and ensuring that our patients or I should say the physician's patients, our customers get quality care, that that needs to translate to more than what system changes that we're making or policy changes. It has to be connected to how we're helping our customers get better quality of care and more connected with our communities and helping them get served. Yeah, so it's really, it's really it's, about it's people a lot of that. Yeah. You said culture eats strategy for lunch. Yeah. Culture eats strategy for lunch. You can't just pass over that without telling me what you mean by that. 
Okay. Well, have you ever uh, been in a situation where a suggestion comes about to do something and you're like, oh, heck no, I ain't doing that. There's no way. And, you know, from the get go, you're thinking, how do I get out of this? Well, that's where most people start. And so when you think about your culture, how do you bring people together to connect their head and their heart and really understand what bigger part are they trying to be engaged in as opposed to trying to convince them to do something they don't want to do? So with your culture, it, you want it to be innovative and strong and vibrant and supportive. And I think at Blue Cross, we've got a tremendous people-first culture. And that culture helps us align teams, make decisions, clarify purpose, and come together as a one-team mindset. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here. All right. Put me on the spot. I'm going to put you on the spot because you, you said something that really strikes. And this is a problem that I think a lot of leaders have. And that is convincing people to do things that they don't want to do or things that they're, let's just say they're resistant to it. Maybe they they don't want to, but they're resistant. They don't understand. There could be a million reasons why somebody in an organization decides that they're going to resist or they, they'll do it without even thinking. It's just, I don't want to. How have you handled that in the past with people? Not, I, I don't want to hear the philosophy of it. Was a situation where you had somebody working for you that was resistant? How do you, how do you bring them around? Yeah. And I think it, there's a couple things. People, people and leadership is an art. So one, you have to find out their why to their resistance. Why are they resisting? What are they concerned about? Are they concerned about failure, for example? Maybe that person uh, is looking at it as, oh man, this sounds familiar to something that I did before and that didn't turn out well. So if it's a one-on-one situation, you're looking for understanding and knowing deeper about why they don't want to move forward. Maybe they've got a great perspective that hasn't been shared and you have to listen to where they're at. Mm. And through that dialogue, people are going to hopefully explain what their concerns are or their other ideas. And who knows, maybe you get to a better way to approach it or execute it or implement it. Mm. I think with a team, sometimes it's the team dynamics that's causing the resistance. And you have to, in that situation, also listen and learn to what's going on. Maybe there's somebody in the group that is incredibly influential and has a lot of uh, informal leadership power, if you will, and they don't like the idea or they think that it's going to hurt the customer or the outcome or they're frustrated because they're not being heard. So I think when you kick off work, you maybe, uh, at least from my perspective, you can't jump into the work without jumping into relationships and understanding that team dynamic. So a lot of it is making sure that you don't get frustrated with that process because it is a process and a lot of people are so busy with trying to get the next objective done. They perhaps don't downshift to, to listen to what the anxiety, the fears, the reason for the resistance. And then what happens is you get a lot of assumptions. You assume why people are resistant and that usually doesn't end out well. Yeah. So when I worked for the Covery Leadership Center, you know, they had this habit, habit five, seek first, understand before being understood. And that's really the habit of what you're talking about, listening and understanding. And if there's resistance, maybe there's good reason for that. Right. And by listening to somebody and hearing what they have to say, it's been my experience. I'd like to hear what yours is, is when 
sometimes when you just listen to people and you give them reasons why we're trying to move forward, when they feel that they've been heard, the resistance goes down. Oh, absolutely. It's sort of like using a parking lot when you're facilitating and you have uh, folks that are repeating themselves over and over again. Once you put something down on that parking lot and they can see it and they know they've been heard, they'll move forward. And I think the other side of that is my perspective is I go into things with everybody's right and everybody's wrong. And somewhere mm. through the dialogue, we'll get to the right for us all. And again, it takes time. Uh, and it gets back to your point on, you know, seek first to understand. And to do that, you have to to listen to not only what they're saying, but also what they're not saying. What's mm. that space in between where you're seeing body language, verbal cues, um, or they're specifically not talking about the sensitive topic? Yeah. So going back to culture, eat strategy for lunch, what you met, you talked about before is the informal culture sometimes of leaders. And you also talked about building relationships. And our, our definition of leadership is the ability to build relationships so that we can achieve our goals together with compassion, accountability. And the process of compassion, accountability, and building those relationships fold together in what you're talking about with these informal leaders all through the organization. And I think recognizing that in organizations is really important that we don't just hierarchically think, I'm the boss, so therefore I have the reason or I have the answers or that I'm quote unquote right. And along what you're saying is just kind of the flip side of that. I always say there is no right or wrong unless it's immoral, unethical or illegal. Yeah. It's a matter of opinion. We just have yeah. opinions. Yeah. Right? So how can we take your strategies and how do you fit into that starts to create a positive dialogue for people? And when you when you take a significantly new strategy to your organization, what's the process that you follow? And because listening to you, it sounds like you spend a lot of time up front talking to people about it, working through it, instead of just throwing it out there and saying, oh, we got this new thing, let's get started. Yeah, well, to be transparent, not all of them uh, start off with that. And then you spend a lot of time getting people back on the same page. Mm. And so for our company, you know, we do some things sometimes with haste because we're trying to get ahead and we miss that step. And you find that it takes a lot longer to get people aligned. Mm. So don't certainly want to say that where my leadership is perfect or our organization doesn't go through the growing pains uh, for sure. But I do think that um, people are people and when you forget that, or you're just driving and trying to tell people to do stuff, when they don't have, uh, don't feel empowered in that, don't feel that they have a voice in that, you end up disempowering them, they get disengaged, and then they, not intentionally, I don't think, but unintentionally end up undermining or circumventing uh, the goals of the team. And so in those situations, it really is a leadership challenge to get in there and really, again, try and listen and find out what's going on. I have found the more successful I've been in my career and the more I've moved up in the hierarchy of an organization, the less influence I actually have down in the, the troops. And the reason for that is, you know, when you're in a company where in most companies are hierarchical, the higher you go up, the more power comes into play. And so 
when I was an individual contributor, I used to be able to, I think, from my perspective, influence and drive change so much easier than now that I'm up in leadership and people hear my voice. If it's a whisper, they might hear it as a shout if I'm not whispering the, the right way or whispering in a way that people can absorb it. So long yeah. rambly way, but, uh, you know, it's, it's about people. And people yeah, do you, are, so do you feel as you go higher up in the organization that you feel less empowered sometimes because you're trying to move such a large organization or shifting it that it takes so long to actually see the results of change? Well, I don't know if it, it's, uh, I feel less empowered. I think my work is very different than uh, those that are actually coding or writing policies or creating processes. Mine is how do I work at uh, building alignment that's needed to support the teams in the best way across the organization. And when you have different organizations, their purpose is to do different things in support of our customers. And so it really comes down to how do you align and bring everybody's voice to the table and say, okay, well, if we're having a challenge here, the first step for us isn't to get on that team where the challenge is um, on what they're not doing, but okay, how do we help them? How do you jump in with help? So empowerment for me, I don't know that I'm a person that ever feels that I'm disempowered. Maybe that's another learning I, I could share, but um, I, I do think that you have less influence in within the organization perhaps or maybe i would say that you have more connections you have to make to drive change than when i was maybe mid-tier and was driving a lot of change um within the organization than maybe above yeah that's a that's a great point you know we always talk about like you mentioned teams multiple times and what makes up a uh, a team. And I, I always like Patrick Lencioni's. He's got a couple of books on this, uh, yeah. five dysfunctions of a team. And then his book, the advantage, which is basically right. telling you how to build the team. And I was talking to an executive uh, leader once and he, he said, why would I want to teach people how to be dysfunctional? So, you know, let's, let's go right to the functional stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> so the functional stuff at the very core of it is trust and the building yes. relationships about trust. How do you build trust in these very high level strategies that you're trying to implement with improvements in processes and systems that takes people, we, we can talk about the, the why, which is, helping the patients and the doctors being able to get the services that they need to be able to be healthy and, and help and provide for that. But within the organization, how do you connect people with that? Why? And how do you implement these processes that people get excited about from a, a foundation within a team of trust? I mean, what does trust mean to people, to organizations that, that, that you're leading at a, I mean, you've got this such a big picture with strategy and we've got to get people to trust that. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of trust is credibility and does it make sense? So you spend a lot of time communicating the why and connecting it back to why it's not only important for the company, but for the employees and for the customers. So this, we'll put that piece aside because I think with every strategy, 
a company has to be clear in their communication and you have to communicate all the time. And our chief strategy officer does a really great job with communicating progress on our strategy and clarifying it monthly in a Yammer post. So that's one way from the very top down. But building trust in the work, there's, there's certainly communication, but there's consistency. Are you acting and making decisions with consistency? I think is really important because if people are on sort of pins and needles on how you're going to react under problems or under circumstances that are challenging and executing a strategy, if you're not having challenges, then question your strategy because right. it should be hard. Um, so how you act when you have challenges, how you're acting in the meetings, how you're connecting with folks offline, I think you have to be consistent. And you want to build that trust that they'll come to you when they're having challenges and not waiting until those challenges are so big they can't be solved. So trust, transparency um, are really keys in that. And there are folks that are going to Maybe there's a couple types of people. There are people that start off and uh, they trust immediately. They don't need any evidence. They don't need any convincing. You're already at their highest trust point and you end up working with them and you can diminish that trust, but you don't have to earn it. And then there's others that you've got zero trust to start with and you have to earn it. For me, I want to know where people are at in that trust continuum because if I don't know that going in, I could be using the, the wrong ways of trying to connect with them and build that trust. Right, right. Yeah, so in building trust, there's a couple of models that I like to use in the trust. I like Horsager's uh, Hate Pillars of Trust. I know you're smiling, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, I met David Horsager with, through the National Speakers Association when he was inducted in the Hall of Fame two years ago. Uh, terrific, amazing guy. And that's all he's been working on for, you know, 25 years is building trust wow. in organizations. He's now building trust in countries. You know, it's really amazing. And, you know, he talked consistency is one of the things that he talks about, clarity and, and competence. And, you know, there's, there's eight, eight C's of, of, of trust pillars that he talks about. The interesting one he doesn't talk about in Lencioni's model is from trust. The first thing they talk about is with trust People meet their commitments and they're vulnerable. They're open enough to know they're in a safe space so that they can have conflict. Yeah, that's a great point. That is a great point. And that to get to that point, the most senior person in the room has to demonstrate it first. Yes. Absolutely. And so to be able to sit in front of a, a team and say, you know what, I messed that up. Or, no, that's on me. I didn't communicate that uh, the most effective way I could. It's, it's really powerful. And In your it, experience, it, who was the best person you ever saw do that? Is it, does, you don't have to name a name, but just describe somebody who used to, used to see this person do it and how they used to do it. They just seemed to engender trust in people because of their presence. Well, I would say it was a boss that I had that we had a major situation and that person stood up in front of a group of other leaders and apologized to everyone. Mm. That was so powerful in the moment. And it just said, you know what, I'm living the culture here. We say that we're going to be accountable and responsible as leaders. Well, and this person was a very senior leader. And to say that with humility 
and to say Mm -hmm. it with sincerity was very powerful. I remember it today. I remember the room I was in. I remember everything about it. And uh, it's very, very powerful when people say it with authenticity and sincerity. Now, I've been in other situations where people have said things that didn't come across as authentic. And so they were saying words, but didn't necessarily come from the the spirit of uh, vulnerability. Mm. And that has a completely different impact. And so I think if I were to take those two, you have to you have to be authentic and speak from a place of humility. You know, that's such a great point because in in that moment, in that apology, you're creating that vulnerability and letting people know that as a leader, you're you you have flaws. You're not, you're not trying to be perfect. Yeah. And like you said, doing it with authenticity and, and really meaning it. You can't, you can't give an apology without really meaning it. Yeah. Not if you want people to remember it for uh, the positive intent that you want. You know, the other thing that I think builds trust is humor, not taking uh-huh. yourself so seriously. And there have been times where I've been in uh, meetings where it's been super intense and emotions are high, stakes are high. And I'll choose that moment to just have some levity. I might sing a little song. I might, you know, just do something that is to break the tension in the room and get us back to, oh, okay, we're all human. We're here to solve a problem. And let's not take ourselves so seriously. And yeah. it's, it's amazing how that can can then just get people to, to move on with what we need to be moving on with instead of being dug in and entranced with uh, trying to argue for who's right. So I'm going to send David a, uh, uh, the ninth pillar. It's comedy. <laughs> <laughs> the ninth C. You just, you, you just gave me one with humor. Cause I, Yay. <laughs> I, I've, uh, I've did a lot of, uh, I had seven different jobs for 10 years with Parker and Gamble and Scott paper manufacturing. Cause I kept turning these departments around and they said, you did such a great job in 18 months with that one. Let's give you another one. And they, yeah. would, they kept doing this with me. And um, sometimes by choice, sometimes not, but I always did have a lot of fun. And yeah. I actually had to tell people that worked for me, do not assume because I like to joke around that I'm not serious about getting the results. Right. And right. I would say that, with sincerity and seriousness, said so don't don't mess with our results. So there was that accountability yeah, with the comedy, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, it does really make a huge difference in the uh, uh, just the mood of everybody if when we don't take ourselves too seriously, right? Yeah, it sounds like uh, you and I had similar or have had similar experiences where. I think that's how I ended up in the the role I'm in now <laughs> yes. after being moved around quite a bit to uh, get people back, get these teams to a better state. So, Well, maybe some similar experiences, but I can honestly say that you've uh, accomplished some things that I would never be able to do, which is staying with one company for 23 years. That's amazing in and of itself. When you have that kind of a career and moved up like you have, that's remarkable. It's really amazing. Well, I didn't plan on it. That's for sure. <laughs> I know. I I sort of was thinking about this recently about if someone had asked me in my 20s, you're going to be with a company for 23 years, I'd have been like, oh, heck no. And I think prior to uh, joining Blue Cross, I hadn't been with a company more than five years. 
but that just speaks to how much uh, growth and opportunities I've been with the company because I've yeah. never been in the same job two years in a row, even if I had the same role because things change so much and I've yeah. moved around and been in almost, I think, every division except for legal, which, you know, I'm sure the lawyers are very pleased with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we didn't have any uh, liability, but um, yeah, no, I think you have to be open to the journey and uh, you never know. You never know what's going to uh, come about if you leave yourself open to experience and learning and uh, taking on new opportunities and taking, taking risks. So I got two final quick questions for you. Yeah. I don't know if the answers would be quick, but two quick <laughs> questions. For young people today, what would you suggest or what do you think that they should focus their time and energy on to develop their leadership capabilities? So communication, I think communication skills are super critical, mm. regardless of the role you have. And the better communicator you are, whether it's verbal or written, both, you need it. Because if you can't convey ideas clearly with both the emotion and logic, you're not going to be able to lead people effectively and you won't be able to move up in your career uh, with others. And, you know, leadership is about, to me, exciting the hearts and minds of people around your vision and where you want to go and collectively getting people to help you uh, develop that and join in it. So I think that's really important. You got to care about people. I have mentored and coached many folks that have said, I want to be a leader. And I'll ask why. And it's because of the title and the influence and, and none of that comes with the title. It's more work and more problems and they're, they're people related. So you got to care about the people. Um, and it's not just about the goals and driving the outcomes. It's really caring about them and understanding that people have challenges in life and they don't just have work. Then um, maybe the third thing I would say is build authentic relationships and be true to your brand. And relationships are built uh, not just in the work. I think women tend to think as long as I do the work, I'm building these great relationships. I'm going to be discovered. You know, no one's no one's going to discover you. You have to be out there with your brand and and get comfortable. Uh, promoting yourself in the way that's authentic to you. Not look at what I did and how great I am, but getting out there and talking about results, understanding the strategy, uh, understanding the business, helping your boss's life get get easier, those types of things. Yeah, I've so often I think, said if, I think if you have a bad boss, get your boss promoted so that you don't yeah. have to work for them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That is great. I love I, that. But, uh, you know, what you said, uh, I think when I think about it, the biggest thing, I made the same mistake coming from uh, a, a military father who was an engineer, you know, uh, nose to the grindstone, work hard, everything will work out. And yes, we have that, that work ethic in us to work really, really hard. Uh, however, I did a very poor job of developing strong relationships in the organizations that I worked in because yeah. I was so focused on getting the results. I got great results. But when I looked around, the people that I really had the close relationships with were my, my uh, direct reports. Yeah. The problem with that in any organization, like you were saying, is knowing, uh, getting a little bit of internal marketing, I call it, on your brand, that other people look at it and they see it monthly or quarterly what the results were. The problem is they, they don't know the person. So they said, don't, don't, don't ever move him because he's getting great results there. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I agree. So I think that's really well said, um, really well said. I am then, still on that journey trying to 
trying to improve that myself. Uh, so I hear you. The other thing that I wanted to reemphasize is uh, you said in communication is being able to balance logic and emotion. Emotional intelligence and cognitive judgment are the only two scientifically measurable characteristics of leadership effectiveness. And in our organization, we, we uh, measure both. And there's a balance of those that we're finding that has a, a really good combination of those two for leaders. And it's really fascinating because high emotional intelligence and kind of above average judgment, not exceptional judgment, but above average judgment makes the best leader. And we've done uh, a lot of studies over the last 10 years to create that model for, for uh, what makes a good leader because we're finding that somebody with great judgment, they don't make a very good leader because they're right most of the time. and They're not interested in listening to others. Right. You know, they use their emotional intelligence if they have it to get people on their side. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's really fascinating how it's just above mediocre judgment. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah but high emotional intelligence. So yeah. that as you said, emotional logic, it was, it's yeah. great to be able to do that. So the final thing I'd like to ask you is if you were to write yourself a letter that got to Samantha 25 years ago, <laughs> is there one thing that you would have told you? Just one, maybe get over yourself. No. Uh <laughs> oh yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> Me too. Oh, in addition to, to being patient, I, I might say that, you know, recognize that your grit and resiliency, your authenticity really is a superpower uh, for yourself because it allows you to connect with people during difficult times mm. in the work, but also your passion for the people allows you to connect with them through those difficult times as well. And that, you know, life's a journey and you may want it tomorrow, but it's going to happen when it happens. Just, just be patient and stay the course and, and learn, learn from every opportunity that you have, whether you mm. are learning forward, AKA failing or just learning from, absorbing uh, the world around you, make time to continue to learn. And then the other thing is, you know, you're going to find your passion. And I'll, I'll leave you with this story of, uh, I love to develop people. I love to unlock, help them unlock their, their potential. And I had this uh, woman who worked for me and I ended up getting rotated in the company. She thought she was going to get the promotion. I got the job and she wasn't happy about it. And so a lot of, and she came and told me about that. And once she sort of got over what she wanted to say, I said, well, are you, you know, ready to sit down and talk about it? So we did, and we ended up forming a great relationship and she uh, gave me the privilege of coaching her. Well, she made it to vice president in the company before I did. And I couldn't <laughs> have been more delighted. Yes. Couldn't have been more delighted. And, you know, to this day, she's a rock star and, I just love that uh, that happened. And that's what I would say are the stories that uh, I would tell my younger self that you'll have the opportunities to look back and reflect and say, wow. Just be patient. That's just a, that's a great, patient. great message. And just for listeners, uh, if you haven't heard of a Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, which is oh, the combination great. of passion and perseverance, a great, yeah. great book, one of the best. But yeah, be patient and have grit and go for your passion. I, I, I love it. It's a great message. 
Samantha Johnson, I knew this was going to be a delight. <laughs> well, thank uh, you. Knew that I would enjoy hearing your story and listening to some great wisdom. There's a lot to unpack here for people to hear. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll have you on again someday. and We'll uh, dig more deeply into leadership because I know that you and I have that in common. Yeah, well, thank you. And I wish your podcast uh, amazing success. I can't wait to hear it when the episode comes out and, and other episodes to follow. So, Well, I appreciate your time very much. So this is Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. And you've been listening to Leading from the Front. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.